it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you today. I want to share a little story about what happened yesterday and then connect it to an article today before we get into the Word of God. And I'd actually like to begin with yesterday's minor event. And it is really a minor event. So I'm driving through our little town on my way to a meeting after the radio broadcast yesterday to meet a a dear brother in the Lord, Andrew. And while I was driving and I was going through little downtown Bentonville, you know, that's where Andy Griffith and Opie and, you know, the Walton family all began this Walmart dynasty around the world. As I was uh, traveling through, I came into the little square and as I approached it, I saw something, and it did something to my heart, and I'm not exactly sure what it is that it did, but I was coming through. I was actually on my bike, and I looked up, and as you're approaching town, these big brick building with the massive rainbow color flag, 
off to the left in one of the businesses with the outdoor dining, rainbow color flag. And I didn't say anything. I just remember looking at the flag over here and the flag over there. And I remember being deeply hurt, not responding in any other way. And I, it kind of it stunned me just a little bit that here we are in the middle of the country in northwest Arkansas, and the banner of the LGBTQ community is now hanging in the open atmosphere, in the public square, obviously all over the world, in every direction. But to see it here so obviously flaunted, I was, I guess, thinking about it deeply through the night and in my spirit subconsciously, not consciously, and waking up this morning thinking about what I saw yesterday. And it reminded me of a passage of scripture, but I had a thought come to my mind about military war. In military battle, from what I understand, we have a picture of it ourselves in the United States when we took the mountain and they put up the American flag on that hill that when a conquering army takes over a land, they raise their banners, they raise their flag. And I'm watching that in the last year and a half or so, two years, maybe even a little deeper than that, how the history of the United States of America by the statues that had been around for a very long time were torn down and how that the LGBTQ rainbow flag had been promoted over these areas. In Bentonville, in that same square, there was a Confederate statue of one of the leaders of the Confederate Army that was there, and that told a story of the history of the Civil War. Well, they had removed that statue from its place, and in its place, in that same public square, they have raised the flag of the LGBTQ community. And what is so hostile about that particular banner is that they have completely perverted and they have completely twisted what God gave to the earth in a rainbow after the flood. And they have taken the rainbow colors and have suggested by raising their banner that God is okay with what they're doing. Now, we know that's not true. We know that's false. We know that that's not right. So I kept thinking about it, and I wondered, what is it that I'm actually witnessing? What am I seeing here? Am I, you know, I'm not just trying to, you know, nitpick and, you know, just find little issues and be critical. I'm just minding my business on my way to a meeting, and all of a sudden I see this taking place. I see these flags everywhere. And I know that you can travel anywhere in the country. You'll see the rainbow color flags everywhere. You'll see it. And so I first thought about cancer and how it begins to show up in a body, okay, with whatever the, 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 the expression of that cancer may be, or, you know, pimples, you know, a pimple shows up somewhere on your skin, and all of a sudden you find out that a lot of pimples are coming, or whatever the case is, something to that effect, where our nation is riddled with this LGBTQ cancer. And you say, well, why would you call it a cancer? You sound like you don't love people. I love people. I have no problem with people. Whether they're homosexual, lesbian, transgender, it doesn't bother me. 
the people. I love people. But this is a war. This is not something that is just an innocent lifestyle change. And there's, there would be nothing innocent about that either. You know, the idea that men are with men and women are with women in and of itself is contrary to nature and is a very hostile act against God, is rebellion against God. You may not think that, but biblically, that's what the word of God says. And I think most of you probably do agree. So I'm watching this and I'm wondering, okay, so we have this thing growing all over the United States of America. And maybe when the first one showed up, and whatever day that was, when something of the LGBT expression began to take place in our nation, it showed up. Maybe there was a little bit more, oh, my gosh, I better get some skin cream, and I better go to the doctor and get that looked at. Um, but what we did in America is we stopped looking at what was so obviously wrong. We ignored willingly became ignorant, and we began to just accept and tolerate, well, hey, it's just on my skin, so what's the problem? Why should I look at it? Why investigate it? Why get it checked out? And it began to multiply. And today we wake up in the United States of America in the year 2021, and we find ourselves looking all over the place at this LGBTQ community thing with their banner. Now, again, I was thinking about military victories. When an invading army or an army takes a land or takes a position or takes over a country, they put their own flag, their own banner over the area that was once their enemies. And so what I see very clearly, and I think everybody that understands this issue from a biblical perspective, is that this invasion, this warfare that's been going on in our society for a generation now is declaring its victory over the United States of America. And the reality is, is that the United States of America has been conquered by the LGBTQ community. It has come in, it is stealth jihad, it was invasive, it came in like a, uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing. It had the sheep effect to it, that we're innocent, we need to be protected, we have, we have civil rights. Uh, you know, all these different activisms that took, like we talked about yesterday, the Declaration of Independence and twisted it into a lie and use it for their own evil purpose, well, that's exactly what has happened with this LGBTQ movement. Now, we're not talking about the innocent people, uh, excuse me, we're not talking about the people that have sided with that lifestyle because our uh, compassion for them reaches out because we know that when they die, being unrepentant in that lifestyle, like anybody else in the world, that they're going to suffer. But we do know biblically that this kind of sin, this particular sin of homosexuality and lesbianism and transgenderism, etc., uh, is a sin against your own body. We read that in Romans chapter 1. So there's something about this particular sin that gives you a reward or a, a consequence that is deeper than just being a, you know, a liar, so to speak, uh, even though all liars will be separated from God. So we have a military campaign now, Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, the Middle East, Islam, um, you know, whoever the domestic enemy is in America today, blah, 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 all this stuff. So we have that real genuine military war machine that's ready to go at any moment now. And yet we've already been through the Islamic Jihad and through the homosexual Jihad, the United States of America has been taken over. 
in Islam, they have placed their senators and their congresspeople in positions of power. You have the Rashida Tlaibs, and you have the uh, Ocasio-Cortez, and you have the other gal, uh, Ilman Omar. Um, you have uh, Ellison, Keith Ellison up in Minnesota. So you have, and we don't really see depth of this and how deep it really goes, but there is, and I believe we're going to see, again, that Islamic reality rise up uh, very soon. I believe we're going to see some of the movements of that where they've established themselves and now it will rise. And yet they have political power now. They have governmental power. The homosexual community has infiltrated every fabric of our society from politics to entertainment, sports now, the NFL is gay and all that stuff. So my, my, my thinking about it was, Lord, what do you do? I mean, when the enemy comes in, and raises his banner over your country, over your city, over your neighborhood. When that banner of shame, that banner of disgrace, the banner of the enemy is now being exalted, what do you do? Well, number one, obviously, we thank God that we belong to another kingdom. Hallelujah. And, and that's my only resolve. It's my only peace, and it should be yours as well. But there's more to this, and I want to explore it just a little bit. And when I was thinking about this, this morning I came across this article, and I want to read the article to you. And it is called Canceling America, the Leftist Movement to Replace Our Symbols with New Ones, a huge national debate about our most important national symbols has erupted, and it is rapidly becoming one of our hottest political issues. But what most people don't realize is that this isn't really a debate about our past. Rather, it is a debate about what our future is going to look like. Those that are demonizing the American flag, the national anthem, the Declaration of Independence, and the Constitution are not doing so for the purpose of winning a historical debate. Their true goal is to cancel those symbols and replace them with new ones, because our existing national symbols represent values and principles that are diametrically opposed to the values and principles that they wish to impose upon society. If they ultimately get their way, the United States will eventually become an extremely repressive, high-tech, dystopian society where absolutely no dissent is created. In other words, we would look a whole lot like communist China does today. When I was growing up, the godless communists on the other side of the globe were the bad guys, and I was raised to greatly love the flag and the freedoms that it represented. But now our flag is regularly organized by the corporate media. For example, the New York Times just published an article in which the flag was described as alienating. What was once a unifying symbol, there is a star on it for each state, after all, is now alienating to some. It stripes now fault lines between people who kneel while the Star Spangled Banner plays and those for whom not pledging allegiance is an effort. And it was, and it has made the celebration of the 4th of July of patriotic bunting and cakes with blueberries and strawberries arranged into old glory into another cleft in a country that seems no longer quite so indivisible 
under a flag threatening to fray. At one time, this article goes on to say, it would have been unthinkable for a major newspaper to publish such a statement, but times have changed. That was all from the New York Times, by the way. And calls for our existing flag to be replaced with a new one are starting to grow louder. The following comes from a widely circulated opinion piece that singer Macy Gray authored last month. And here's the quote. President Biden, Madame Harris, and members of Congress, the American flag has been hijacked as code for a specific belief. God bless those believers. They can have it. Like the Confederate, it is tattered, dated, divisive, and incorrect. It no longer represents freedom. It no longer represents all of us. It's not fair to be forced to honor it. It's time for a new flag. Of course, it isn't just the flag that they want to replace. You see, this is the sentiment. This is what, and I'm just reading this article for the first time this morning. I had it. It was on my phone. I put it up here, and I'm just reading it right now. The title is what caught my attention because of what I was thinking about and what I saw in the Bentonville Square. And I think I have a right to be concerned. I think I have a right to be hurt by that to some degree, if nothing else, as an American citizen in the flesh, in the physical, knowing that that has replaced any, anything that represented the founding father view of the United States of America. So right now, there is a change.org petition that is calling for a new national anthem. So it's not just the flag, it's a new national anthem. The petition, started by Lawrence Johnson, cites three reasons why the national anthem should be changed. Here it is. He said, the star-spangled banner contains racism, elitism, and even sexism embedded in its third and fourth stanzas, which have no place in the national anthem of a democracy that claims that all men and women are created equal the petition says. And you'll see how the left continually uses the documents of the founding fathers and turn them and twist them into something that supports what the founding fathers never would have supported. The founding fathers put people in prison for a homosexual act. The founding fathers put it, made it, uh, even some were calling for the death penalty of people that participated in such a gross act. It was against the law in the United States because the founding fathers knew that this was evil. But now today, those very evil and wicked people take what the founder said in the documents and twist it and turn it to a meaning that was never meant to be. It's, 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 very, it's very clever, quite frankly. So that particular petition, okay, is suggesting that America and the beautiful should be the new anthem. But a lot of people are also now referring to lift every voice and sing as a national anthem. So they're wanting to change the national anthem in the United States. PBS has sparked tense backlash with its decision to have Vanessa Williams perform the black national anthem during its 4th of July coverage, with critics blasting the move as divisive and un-American. Williams' performance on the station's annual Capital Fourth Program Sunday evening is intended to celebrate the recognition of Juneteenth's establishment as a federal holiday. In the end, they aren't going to be satisfied with changing just one or two things. 
The goal is for all of the symbols of our founding era to be canceled. And this even includes our most important founding documents. Today, I was stunned to learn that NPR is now publicly claiming that the Declaration of Independence is filled with flaws and hypocrisies. In an online article, NPR stated, quote, over the past 32 years, Morning Edition has broadcast a reading of the Declaration of Independence by NPR staff as a way of making Independence Day or marking Independence Day. But after last summer's protests and our national reckoning on race, the words in the document land differently. In reference to the flaws and hypocrisies within the historic document, NPR wrote, and I quote, it famously declares that all men are created equal, even though men, even though women, enslaved people, and indigenous Americans were not held as equal at the time. So they're saying that was hypocrisy. And Congresswoman Maxine Waters is publicly attacking it as well. July 4th, and so, the Declaration of Independence says all men are created equal. Equal to what? What men? Only white men? That was Maxine Waters. All men are created equal is a phrase that has been a beacon of hope for men and women all over the globe for more than two centuries. But now Maxine Waters would like us to believe that is actually an insult. Sadly, I am certain that it won't be too long before someone out there comes up with a new Declaration of Independence to replace the old one. Of course, the U.S. Constitution is under relentless assault as well. When I was in law school, my liberal professors taught me that it was a living, breathing document that could be changed to make it say anything that we wanted it to say. But these days, that is not enough for many on the left. A lot of them now want to get rid of that flawed document entirely and start over. The end game is to create an entirely different country. From the one that our founders originally established, and every year they make a little bit more progress toward that goal. That's why earlier when I was reading about what they wanted to do, I could hear somebody going, ah, that'll never happen. That's what everybody said, right? That'll never happen. Look where we are today. So, of course, there are still millions of patriotic Americans that are absolutely determined to keep them from winning. But the other side has far more money and far more power at this stage. Reminds me of Donald J. Trump in one of his speeches that I got to go because I have some very powerful enemies that are very wealthy. Yeah, saying something, wasn't he? This is a point that Victor Davis Hanson made very well in one of his recent articles. He said, name one mainline institution that the woke left does not now control and warp. The media, the campus, Silicon Valley, professional sports, the corporate boardroom, foundations, the K-12 educational establishment, the military hierarchy, the government deep state, the FBI top echelon. The left absorbed them all. But this time around, members of the left really believe that by any means necessary is no mere slogan. Instead, it is a model of how to disrupt or destroy American customs, traditions, and values. Well, throughout our history, Americans have sacrificed so much so that future generations could live free. But now all of our precious freedoms are on the line 
And the other side is absolutely determined to permanently destroy everything that our founders worked so hard to build. We have reached such a critical moment in our history, and America's future hangs in the balance. Some people are saying it'll never happen. We are going to stop them. Joe Biden is in the office of the president because we didn't stop them. All of our history, a lot of it in our country, found in monuments and statues, has been taken away and replaced with the banner of the LGBTQ community rewriting the history of our nation, just like the article said. People today that say, oh, that won't happen, are the same people that are saying or said that'll never happen. You had thousands of voices in our country that were proclaiming that Donald J. Trump was going to win the election. He was going to be the president. He's not the president today. Maybe in your mind, he's your president. I get that. But he's not in the office in D.C. He's not making the decisions. He's not making the power. That's why the left is on steroids. It's going, it's like it was dammed up and the dam is gone and it's releasing in full force every evil, wicked thing it possibly can. There are some judges that Donald Trump put into power. There is a Supreme Court that has more conservatives supposedly than uh, far leftist thinking and, and those types of ideas. But the fact remains, the fact remains that the dam that was holding back the flood is gone and to sit on the sidelines because the waters haven't reached you yet and say we're going to stop this is like saying that the titanic is going to we're going to preserve it from sinking we're going to fix that gaping hole we're going to somehow stop the waters of the atlantic from pouring into and sinking the ship and quite frankly i don't think they could have done it and factually they didn't the Titanic sunk. And there are people today that are on deck in this ship called America, and the violins are playing. If you ever saw the movie, how they all the, the musicians got out there, and while the, the people were panicking and the ship was sinking, they were trying to calm everything with their music. And their, the engineers on the ship were thinking, my God, the water of the Atlantic's pouring in. What do we do? And do we have any duct tape? Do we have any paper clips? You know, what, do we have any glue? You know, is there something we could do to fill the gaping hole of this ship that not even God could sink, is what they said. And that's what the voices are crying to the people on the sinking ship today. They're shouting out, play the music, come on. And they're all saying, everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. <clears throat> it wasn't okay. It wasn't okay. It's not okay today to drive through your city, through your neighborhood, through your public square, and see rainbow color flags, such a rebellious, perverse act in the face of a holy God. It's not okay. And yet they're doing it. And they're not finished. You just heard, with the floodgates gone and the waters of the Atlantic pouring in, it reminds me out of the book of Revelation that the serpent opened his mouth and out of his mouth came a flood to sweep away the woman. The earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood. The whole earth is being flooded with the demonic, with the satanic, with the wicked agenda of evil spirits, demonic spirits, 
We are in a spiritual warfare. We are battling with demons, and demons have taken control of people's thinking, their minds. That's why they're deceived, and they don't really understand nor cooperate with God's truth and light. And it's because men love darkness rather than light, and they won't come to the light because their deeds would be exposed. And so it's unfortunate that we're living in this time, and the church is sitting here going, well, what do we do with this? And for a Christian pastor to have been on the Titanic, to have stood on the deck and said, everything's going to be okay, that wouldn't have worked. The ship was doomed to fail. Because its shipmasters said not even God could sink this ship. And God says in the day of the Lord that the proud and the lofty will be brought low. It's what the word of God says. The proud and the lofty, the haughty, the arrogant, the boastful. To have been a pastor on that ship while it was thinking, everything's going to be all right. It's going to turn around. We're going to fix it up. It's going to get better than before. They probably should have thrown them off the ship. Now, on the other side of that coin, and we have to be fair, there was another storm at sea in a ship where the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 27 was on board that ship. There was an apostolic voice. There was an apostolic representative of the kingdom of God, an ambassador that was on assignment from the Lord. And the angel of the Lord came to Paul And he said, don't worry, not one life is going to be lost. And there were 276 souls upon that ship in Acts 27. However, the ship was destroyed, but the people were saved after they had accepted Jesus Christ. Paul actually started a church on the ship that was about to be destroyed, and he saved souls. And then they were all cast onto the island. So 276 people took communion. They took the bread. They took the wine. Paul taught them about the Lord. He said the angel of the Lord. He led them to faith in Jesus Christ. He had a captive audience on his ship. And those souls repented, turned to Christ, begged God for his mercy, and they were saved even though the ship was destroyed. So there's, there's that balance there. Now we're talking about souls being saved, but not the ship. America, the systems of America, obviously, from entertainment to politics and everything in between, those seven heads of the beast we talked about, every part of them have been infiltrated and taken over by a very hostile enemy against God. One of the most wicked forces of evil has has and will be, as my friend told me, Sam King, years ago on this broadcast, he said to me, Vince, you will see in the days ahead, the most violent enemy of America will be the LGBTQ community, and they will be more violent than Islam in their ways. And then you go back to Sodom and Gomorrah, as we said yesterday, and it was that community, not Babylon, not Assyria, not Egypt, it were the homosexuals the lesbians, the transvestites, the, trans, the people that were weirded out in their sexual perversion, they wanted to rape angels sent from God. You see, that's vile, and that's violent, and that's wicked, and that's evil. That's very demonic. It's all demonic. Okay? So what is the point? We live in this society. Here we are. 
and our ship called America, as my brother Don said a couple of weeks ago, he said, we may have all come to America on different boats, but now we're all in the same boat. And we are all in the same boat. And the problem is, in Paul's time, when the Apostle Paul in Acts 27, those 276 people did not divide themselves and fight themselves. They all came to a place of unity. And without unity, you cannot succeed in any area. Your marriage cannot succeed if it's not in unity. And it's from a Christian perspective, it's the unity of the Spirit, the unity of the Word of God, the unity of Christ, the unity that Jesus Christ had with his Father in John 17 is the unity that he calls the body of Christ to. Now, the enemy was very effective in dividing the church so he could conquer it and make it useless in the face of this adversity. So the only positive thing that could happen right now in this storm, as the floodgates have been destroyed and open and the waters are pouring in, is the salvation of souls through a unified effort of an ecclesia to go out and reach as many souls as possible, but not to integrate that reality, that eternal reality, with the momentary collapse of our nation that God has pointed at, God has spoken, and God has said America has passed the point of no return. Don't expect it. Now what you're witnessing after hearing that 18 years ago and proclaiming it for 18 years, and you're watching, it has not gone back. It's going further and further and further away from God. It will never return again. So the pastors that are on the deck of the Titanic either need to be quiet, shut your mouth, shut up, and don't say anything, and start praying for the souls that are going to be destroyed or help people get into their lifeboats, get into their Goshens, if you will, start doing something to help the people because of the inevitable sinking of the ship. And if you're not going to put your hand to the plow and help people separate into their boats of salvation when the big ship sinks, then really you shouldn't be involved at all. You should just be quiet and you should go away and go pretend somewhere else. And that's what a lot of you are doing that are speaking the salvation of America. You're pretending. You have a false hope. You have a false hope. If I haven't been saying this for 18 years, I wouldn't say it again today. But what has been spoken for 18 years is the truth. And it's not going to get better. It's going to sink. And if you don't understand that reality, then you're not going to prepare for it. You're not going to be diligent about getting into one of the lifeboats where some people were saved when the Titanic sunk. Some people were actually saved because they got into a lifeboat. That's like a little miniature ark. It's like a little miniature Goshen. And all the little playing that's going on in our society, we're still playing in the merry-go-round and we're hearing the sound of the, of, the, of, the, of the merry-go-round, you know, and all the noises of the big fair, you know, the world fair and all that. And we're all pretending everything's okay, but you know it's not okay. You know that this nation is not what it was a year and a half ago. You know that something has changed, and now we have 
Joe Biden, uh, I guess, in the latest move is, is encouraging people to go door to door to get people vaccinated. This was just done yesterday. There's now going to be an effort to release a particular part of people. I need to get the article and remember exactly what it was. I just got it this morning. Uh, someone sh shared it with me. And it was Joe Biden releasing people to go door to door to get people, to convince people to get vaccinated. It's kind of like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons going door to door to tell you to, begin to join their cult, right? Join us. Go with Joseph Smith and go with the Watchtower. And we say, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to attempt to change your mind. But the only problem is when you don't agree with their vaccination plug, you know, hey, if you don't, we're going to knock at your door. We're going to tell you about it. If you resist it, you're going down on a piece of paper. We're going to mark your address that you're a resistor and you're one of them. So they're going to come in wolves in sheep's clothing and they're going to knock on the door. Hi, I'm Mary. I'm Joe. Uh, and we would like to, you know, share with you, have you been vaccinated? And, you know, they're going to go through the whole thing and why you should and what the numbers are and the facts are. And there's going to be so kind. And, hey, you know, you're going to want to even invite them in your house for a cup of coffee. Then Christians are going to be going, well, listen, Mary and Joe, uh, you know, we really don't believe in the vaccination. And uh, we, you know, are, we have a different perspective. And you're going to be kind to them and you're going to talk to them. And it's going to be like that. And they're going to say, oh, okay, uh, Mr. Jones, Mrs. Jones. Okay, thank you so much. Well, it was nice talking with you. Thanks for the cup of coffee. And they're going to go back and you're on the list. Regardless of if it was a happy conversation, a bad conversation, you're on the list. And then what they do with the people on the list, who knows? Who knows? Maybe you won't be able to get on that airplane. Maybe you won't be able to go to that store. Maybe you won't be able to use that bank. Maybe your health insurance will be canceled. Maybe, just maybe, your Social Security checks won't be coming to you anymore. Maybe you're going to be punished for being a resistor, and you're not going to be able, just like the article said about being like China, you're not going to be able to move. You're not going to be able to buy and sell freely. The mark of the beast may very well be underway. And the majority of the people are not considering this. They've talked a little bit about it, but it, it's kind of like a, a brief conversation piece and then back to business again. And I'm just wondering how safe is that? How safe is that? So, praise the Lord. I just want to stop, take a little break here for a moment, see my friends that are on Blog Talk Radio today, see a number of you calling in. The number to call always is 818-369-0326. Uh, those that are on with me in the chat room, I just want to say good morning to Charlotte Gotch. Good morning to you, Charlotte. Uh, Brenda Torville, good morning to you. Kayla Stakely, good morning to you. Kayla, God bless you. Uh, neurotransmitters, right? Hallelujah. Vanessa KM, Shalom Pastor. Good morning to you, Vanessa. Laquita Sizemore, good morning, Pastor. Good morning to you, Laquita. Great seeing you last night. Uh, Cindy, good morning. I trust, Cindy, that you were checked out and are doing good. Would love to hear a report. Looking forward to it. Um, Kayla Stakely is saying, wow to us. Praise the Lord. You know what wow means, by the way, right? Wow, without words. you got to love it. Uh, Cindy, praise God, all is good. Hallelujah. So Cindy had a little checkup today. All is good. I love it. All right, so Miss Kishawar, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Back to you, Miss. And Robert Avila, definitely net a reserved show. Oh, very, I guess definitely not a reserved show. Nicely done. Thanks, Robert. I appreciate the thumbs up. We're trying to be compassionate and loving and show the grace of God and the love of Christ 
to bring people that are stuck in any kind of separation from God, being born in sin, and then coming to a conclusion that we all need salvation because we're all sinners that are need to be saved by grace. And we want to share the grace of God, but we seem to be in a time where the grace of God is being twisted and perverted into a lie, and people's souls are going deeper into the darkness, and people are capitulating. So we're trying to shout and sound an alarm in Zion to wake people up and to tell them what is coming down the pipe. Uh, Autumn Nichols, extremists. Who's an extremist? I don't know. I was considering, am I an extremist? Am I an extremist? Well, I hope so. I hope so. And the scriptures I'm going to show you in a little bit will help you understand why I think so. I don't know who the extremists are, but God knows. Carol Carey, good morning. Autumn Nichols, Christians will line up for the mark of the beast just as they have for the vaccination. You're right on Autumn. It's true. They will. They're already doing it. And by the way, good morning to Joyce Young this morning. God bless you, Joyce. Uh, always thinking about you and Ken. Every morning I have my cup of Organo Gold Coffee, a Gernodermal Mushroom. Joyce and Ken, thank you for keeping us supplied with that coffee that is good for you with a little bit of honey. And, you know, my little thing is a little powdered cream. But I like it because it takes the bitterness out and the honey and the Gernodermo Organo Gold Coffee. Delicious stuff. Thank you. So let me read some scripture. Let me just, just a little scripture here. Got to love scripture. Let's begin. I want to, I guess, take it from here. Christians lining up to take the mark of the beast. I, I, we need to be honest with you. Maybe you're tuning in for the first time into this broadcast. Um, you need to know that I, Vincent Xavier, have been fully vaccinated. And I'm okay with that. I am fully vaccinated. I took the J-Con Vax, and I've got the golden certificate of the PS91 or whatever it is. So I've been fully vaccinated. Our whole church, quite frankly, has been fully vaccinated. And I want to encourage you to get the J-Con Vax uh, and get the certificate. They have this gold certificate, which is the PS91. And um, you may be asking, well, what is the J-Con Vax? Well, the J-Con Vax is the Jesus Christ of Nazareth vaccination from Psalm 91. And the vaccination that we have received and been fully inoculated with is the blood of Jesus Christ. If the digital code in the Moderna uh, vaccination, if there's digital code in the vaccination, it's not even a vaccination, it's a shot. If there's digital code to search out in your body where the COVID-19 is and then to obliterate it, well, there's more code in the blood of Jesus Christ than there is in any vaccination that man-made factories and little places of development in the scientific community will come from. So the JCon vaccination, when they knock at your door, you let them know. Fully vaccinated. Mm, the JCon vax, with the, I got a certificate, it's like this golden PS91, uh, and it's perfect for me. Thank you. But thanks for coming by. Enjoy your coffee. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I just want to encourage you for just a moment before we get into, no, I'm going to do, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something a little different. Rather than that, I want to go, first of all, in the context of our conversation that we've been having. I want to go to Isaiah chapter 13, because this remains consistent with what we were just talking about, and we've been on the air now for 43 minutes, 
And I've been sharing with you what happened in my heart when I woke up this morning about going into downtown Bentonville, the public square, seeing the, the, the flags, the rainbow flags. That would hurt my heart to think they would do that against my father. You know, I don't like people messing with my father. I don't know how you feel about that, but I just don't like it. And I don't like the way the world is twisting uh, his heart and his mind. And we're here to defend him, not that he needs defense, but we're here to because we love our daddy. That's all. We love our dad. And so, anyways, what I was thinking about when they raised those flags, that's their conquering mantra. We have conquered. We've taken away your statues. We've replaced it with our LGBTQ community flag. We are now ruling and reigning in this area. That's what they're saying. So in Isaiah 13, going back to kind of tying this in with the, uh, the Titanic symbolism, 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 symbology. So Isaiah 13, 1 says, and, and again, this is a mini apocalyptic view. You'll find this in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Revelation. Same thing. But this one has a little added benefit to it. <clears throat> For our understanding. Isaiah 13, verse 1. The burden of Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amos, did see. So he saw the burden of Babylon. Lift ye up a banner upon the high mountain. Exalt the voice unto them, shake the hand that they may go into the gates of the nobles. So through the gates, like a flood, the dam is down, the gates are open, the floodgates go in, enter in, right? I have commanded my sanctified ones. I have also called my mighty ones for my anger. Even them that rejoice in my highness. She's talking about the Assyrians, the Babylonians. He's talking about military powers from other nations, right? Here he's got the burden of Babylon going on. He's saying that I've called them my mighty ones, my sanctified ones. I've called them for my anger. Against who? Hmm. Even them that rejoice in my highness. Verse 4. The noise of a multitude in the mountains, like as of a great people, a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts musters the host of the battle. You know, it's interesting that he's gathering the nations. He's mustering the host of the battle. But who he's going against, who he's bringing the enemy against, this would be kind of like in modern terms, a gathering of the United Nations, the globalist empire of the beast, against any vestige or remaining ones faithful. You know, it's just a gathering against even God's own people. He brings the Assyrian and the Babylonians against his own people. Do you understand how he uses them? And then in verse 5, they come from a far country, from the end of heaven, even the Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. Allow prophet Isaiah to speak to you, to give you wisdom 
about what is going on presently in the United States of America, Israel, and in other democratic societies, because it's not just in America, it's all over the world, but there's some deep confusion in this nation. We are a very, very sick society. I mean, America is a sick nation, this poor country that was so vibrant and healthy and beautiful, has a virus running through its veins and its blood, the virus of the LGBTQ community, the virus of bloodshed of 90 million innocent babies, the, the, the virus of pornography and sexual images destroying the brain scientifically, by the way, search it out. Pornography will destroy your brain. It, 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 it ruins it. It kills it like drugs mess with people's head. So there's a virus in this body called America. The body is sick. It's throwing up. It's got a runny nose with its floods and its fires representing the fevers. And it's a very sick, convulsing nation. You know, may not like that imagery, but it's definitely found in Isaiah chapter 1, that exact imagery of a nation called Israel that in their day was under the same convulsion. They were very sick from the sole of the foot to the top of their head. They were sick, and there was no ointment to bring healing. There was nothing because they had rejected the great physician. America has rejected the great physician, the schizophrenia in America, the double-mindedness in America. The body has been split. We have a split personality in what was once one nation under God. We are no longer one nation under God. We are a schizophrenic split personality, and that is not healthy. That is not healthy for a nation. It is a very sick nation. And the great physician had the antidote, but the people rejected the great physician, so it's just going to have to deal with some things. So he goes on in verse 5 again that he, uh, they come from a far country. And I believe that there are a gathering of nations, the United Nations, that are ultimately going to come and make war with our nation. I believe we're going to see it. No doubt war is a wave. We believe it's the third wave that's coming. We've seen a couple of waves hit. Now we have a third wave. It's been a little bit of time between the second and third wave, but the drum, the, the, what do they call it? The drums of war are beating right now all over the world. They are. And so they're coming from a far country, from the end of heaven, even the Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. Well, he wasn't bringing Israel to destroy Babylon, and he wasn't bringing Assyria to destroy Babylon. It was the Lord bringing Babylon and the Assyrians and the foreign nations to destroy his own land, his own people, or to bring the Assyrians to destroy Babylon after Babylon had destroyed, or to bring Babylon against Assyria. You know, God works in amazing ways, doesn't he? Isaiah 13, 6, it says, How will ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. Now, in Luke chapter 21, we're told by Jesus himself that men's hearts would fail them for fear of what they see coming upon the earth. So, again, this is a mini-apocalyptic view, but it begins with they brought their banners, 
The military campaign brought their banners against an adversary, and they're going to win because they're sanctified for battle to win. Regardless of all the different agencies and military powers that nation may have had, God is bringing a superior force to bring wrath and judgment and destruction because of their blasphemy against God Almighty. And then he'll judge those that he used to temper his own people. It's an amazing way that God works. Brilliant, quite frankly. So we have in verse 8, they shall be afraid. People are already afraid in America about vaccinations, going outside, wearing a mask. Somebody sneezes, people get weirded out. There's so much fear in our nation, but nobody sees it because everybody's wearing a mask. But there's so much fear, and just beneath the layer of skin is panic. And I'm telling you, people are going, you're going to see panic. If you didn't see it during, in the eyes of people during the, uh, the pandemic that was going on out there, he says here, he says it right here, therefore shall all hands be faint, every man's heart shall melt, they shall be afraid, pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. Now, the American proud spirit, the proud American spirit will say, I'm not afraid of anything. Oh, yeah? You will be afraid with what God is sending to this nation. You already were made afraid, many of you, because of the vaccination and the flu and COVID and the riots and the fires and the burning and the violence. I mean, you saw it all. Don't tell me people weren't afraid. They were terrified. They were terrified. And they haven't seen anything yet. This has all been preview. All previews. All previews. That's all you've been watching. Now, they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travails. Now, a woman in travail is known as the beginning of sorrows. It shows up again in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and in Revelation, and in Thessalonians, and in Second Peter, and in Jude. I mean, that phraseology is all over the scriptures, a woman in travail. What's happening? She's going into birth pangs, and it's a pang, and it's a pang, and it's a pang, and it's a pang, and it's a pang. Fear and sorrow and pain is getting there. Why? Because it's getting ready to give birth. And the closer it gets to the birthing, the acceleration intensification of the pangs become. And it's really fast. And we've seen that. Something's about to be birthed. And what is it? It's the greatest tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth, according to Scripture. It is Revelation chapter 13 in its fullest form, globally, all over the world at the same time. The birth pangs of the beginning of sorrows, the pang, the pang, the pang. What pang? Where do you want to start? 9-11, birth pang. Where do you want to start? The eastern seaboard of the United States, wiped out by hurricanes in 2002, 2003, 2004, until a major birth pang in uh, Katrina in the storm in New Orleans. A major birth pang. Then how far down do you want to go? We keep following the path, and we have birth pangs, the school shootings, the church shootings, the mall shootings, the concert shootings. We have birth pangs. We're a nation in travail. We're just panging. A woman's panging, birth pangs, sign after sign after sign. The sun, the moon, the stars. 2014, what do we see? Blood red moon. 2014, during Passover, blood red moon. 2014, during Tabernacles, blood red moon. 2015, during Passover, third blood red moon. 2015, Tabernacles, fourth blood red moon. They call it a tetrad. 2016, solar eclipse. 2017, a sign of Revelation 12, the sun, moon, and stars, all in alignment. One day after 5,000 years of not being seen, 
to the public eye. It's there. So we have all these signs in the sun, the moon, the stars. We have turmoil upon the earth. The nations of the earth are shaking. Turmoil, men's hearts afraid. I mean, it's all becoming unstable, commotions. Then we see the floods and the fires and the hurricanes and the tornadoes. And we see areas wiped out like never before. And it's all happening. And people have the audacity to sit back and say, I don't see a problem. You don't see a problem? You don't see what just happened in our society? You don't see the stealing of elections? You don't see the coming communism and the socialism? You don't see that? You don't see a problem? Then you're blind. You're deaf. You have no understanding in your heart. What the word of God says about the beginning of sorrows is like a woman in travail. And all these things that you are witnessing with your eyes that hurt are just the signs of the times declaring what? Well, if you read Matthew's gospel, and I'll do a little break right now, and I just want to go one more time back to Matthew 24, because here's what you need to expect. If you're joining this broadcast right now and you're looking for answers of what's going on in the world, well, let's turn to Jesus, the master, and it says in Matthew chapter 24, okay, Matthew chapter 24, verse 4. Let's go through it one more time. Jesus answered and said unto them, come on, follow with me. Let's go on a dynamic teaching. I'm guaranteed there's at least one person tuning in right now that believes in a pre-tribulational rapture. I'll bet you there's at least one. And it's to you that I want to speak so that you will not be confused or deceived about that particular doctrine, okay? And I don't want to in any way insult. I want to bring revelation through the word of God and by the Holy Spirit about this moment. Now, Jesus said it this way. In Matthew 24, verse 4, he said, Take heed that no man deceive you. So the number one thing concerning the end times, the last days, the coming of the Lord, are being gathered together unto him, all that end time prophecy, the number one thing Jesus said is don't be deceived. And we know, according to scripture, that there will be doctrines of demons everywhere, and that people will actually ask teachers to tell them lies so that they don't have to deal with the hard truth of reality. One of the doctrines of demons that has been promoted in our society in the last hundred or so years has been the doctrine of a pre-tribulational rapture. I'm going to tell you emphatically, through the word of God, it does not exist. There is no such thing in the Bible, not in 1 Thessalonians 4, not in 1 Corinthians 15, not in any area, not in Matthew, not in Mark, not in Luke, not in Revelation, there is nothing of reality mentioning a pre-tribulational rapture. And the reason why I know that is because I've learned from a master teacher, and his name is Yahshua, Jesus, the great teacher, talking about the end times. Let's begin here. Let's just begin right here. He said, don't let anybody deceive you, number one, with doctrines of devils. He said, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. In other words, teachers are going to come, and they're going to say, I'm anointed by God. Here's the message, and people are going to believe it. They're going to shave their heads. They're going to drink the Kool-Aid. They're going to sell pencils in the airport. Whatever they do in their white robes and crazy areas, right? They're all going to believe. People have a tendency to believe things that aren't true. 
But here's Jesus. I believe in him. I believe whatever you want to call him. They call him the prince of devils. They call him Beelzebub. They call him a liar. and deceiver. I believe that he's the real deal, Jesus. And I believe his words are true. So from his perspective, I share this message with you. Then he says, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. This is all end time. You have to put this in its proper place. He's covering historically from 70 AD all the way to the very end to his coming. You have to understand that they were asking, when shall these things be? Well, it shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the world. So he covers everything from 70 AD, the collapse of Jerusalem, to his second coming. So we have to put it in perspective. Listen to what he says. He said, not only will you hear of wars and rumors of wars. He said, be not troubled. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation. That's ethnos against ethnos, meaning race against race. And kingdom against kingdom. So we have this against, this division, this war, right? And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes. Notice the plurality, not the singularity. In diverse places, in other words, in different places all over the world, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, when you go into the Greek and you look up the phrase, the beginning of sorrows, what you see is a woman in travail. It always speaks of a woman in travail. So the beginning of sorrows. So to that generation that will see these things come to pass. And then in Mark, he says it this way, by the way, just add just a little bit of uh, what the writers heard Jesus say. And from Mark's perspective, he heard him also say that there will be wars and rumors of wars. Be not troubled, for such things must need be, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places. There shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. So he adds troubles, and in Luke chapter 21, he adds the phrase, and he says, uh, let's see if I can find it real, real quick. He talks about the things that are coming. Oh, he says in verse 8, Take heed that you be not deceived. Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. The time draws near. Go ye not after them. But when you shall hear of wars and commotions. Okay. So he brings in commotions. Then he says, don't be afraid. Uh, Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. So in three parts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, this area is all about the birth pangs. Commotion means instability. So in other words, you're going to come into a time where unstable environments are going to be promoted. The foundations that were once secure will no longer be secure, and it's going to create commotion and trouble and panic and fear, and all these things are going to be going on. But here's the key, okay? This is all the beginning of sorrows, like Isaiah 13 said. I want to ask you a question. So far in the teaching, did Jesus mention that the church is going to be gone did he say that there would be a pre-tribulational rapture? Thus far, no, right? Not even, a, not even a thought about it, correct? So verse 9 goes on to say, and this is the key. I like people to take their pen and, and circle the four-letter word in verse 9, then. So what it's saying, 
to the woman in travail, the beginning of sorrows, when all these global events are going on in multiplicity all over the world at the same time, not just isolated here and isolated there. In the last days, it'll be global at the same time with intensity. So all these things are going on. These are the birth pangs. He said, then what that's going to lead to, then what's going to come after that, shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. So Jesus goes from a general understanding of what's going to happen in the world globally, all over the world. He said to the Christian disciples, you need to be watching these things because when you see them, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. They will deliver you up to be afflicted. So now he's talking to the church, talking to the disciples, talking to the Christians. And he says, and, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my namesake. So you're going to be afflicted. You're going to be killed. You're going to be hated of all the nations of the earth for my name's sake. So in the last days, Jesus said, persecution is coming. Affliction is coming. Death is coming. Persecution is coming. Oh, it's okay. She can play. Uh, the Bambini, the Bambini. I know. She, she doesn't mind hanging out, listening to Papa say these things. It's the word of God, okay? And we always show her the love of Christ. Praise the Lord. Now, what wouldn't you have thought that if the time was coming where the disciples, he said, then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted, killed, hated. If there was a pre-trib rapture that Jesus was going to teach, wouldn't he have been telling them that at that moment? When you see these signs, look up because there's a pre-trib rapture coming. Wouldn't that have been the place to put that? I mean, in all these scriptures, wouldn't that have been the place? It, rather than saying, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations, that would have been the place to say, then shall the secret pre-trib rapture come. But he didn't say that, okay? He did not say that. He said, they're going to kill you. You're going to be afflicted. You're going to be hated of all nations. And then he said in verse 10, shall many be offended. He's not talking about people in the world. He's talking about Christians, disciples, believers. They're going to be offended. Why? And the word offense is the scandaliso, which means falling into a trap. They're going to be ensnared in their soul, in their mind. Why? They weren't ready. Jesus knew all things from the beginning to the end. And in the last days, there'd be false doctrines. The false doctrines were telling people, don't worry about anything. There's a pre-trib rapture coming, but it doesn't happen. And instead, the affliction comes, the killing comes, the persecution comes. All the nations of the earth hate. Now, where do you think Revelation 13 comes from? That all the nations, as every tribe, every tongue, every nation on earth, will worship the beast. And they're the ones that are going to hate the Christians on the earth at that time. And they're going to do the hating and the killing and the afflicting. That's what Revelation 13 is all about. They tried to tell you that the church isn't here in Revelation 13. Because John in chapter 4 of Revelation went into heaven. And that's the pre-trib rapture. That is not a pre-trib rapture. It's not even symbolic of a pre-trib rapture. What it is, 
is a commissioning of the prophetic. Every prophet of God throughout Scripture encountered God in a specific way. Whether it was Moses at the burning bush, whether it was Isaiah being taken into the throne room of God, whether it was Ezekiel seeing the visions of God, Jeremiah seeing the almond tree, whatever it was, God always encounters his prophets. John was a prophet as well as an apostle. And in chapter 10 of Revelation, God tells him, you're going to prophesy again. So when he went into heaven, he was getting ready for a download of assignment to go and speak the last word of God, the prophecy known as the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation five times is called a prophecy. And John is the prophet delivering the message. Okay? So this idea that Revelation 4 is the rapture is pure foolishness. It doesn't exist. It's not real. Now, because of the afflicting and the killing and the hatred of all the nations against believers, Christians, disciples, then many will be offended. They're not going to handle the pressure. They're going to say, what are we doing here still? We're not supposed to be here. And they shall betray one another. Now you're going to see Christians that thought they were saved, right? They went to church. They believed in the preacher of rapture. They never prepared. They're not ready. They never really. And by the way, the pre-trib rapture doctrine runs hand in glove with once saved, always saved. You'll see these twin doctrines of destruction working together because most people that believe in the preacher of rapture also believe that you can't lose your salvation. And yet that's not what the Bible says either. And we'll talk about that. If you really want to learn something, what the Bible says and not men, you, you'll learn something. But once saved, always saved. You can't lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation, right? So the environment is they're going to begin to betray one another. So the church people are going to get offended. Uh-oh, don't get offended. It'll, it'll, it'll ruin some stuff. But then they're going to betray one another. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you saved? If you're an offended person that betrays your brothers and your sisters, is that real salvation? I don't think so. But if that doesn't work enough, it says that they'll hate one another. So if the Christians begin to hate one another because of the persecution that's coming, are they saved? So you're offended, you betray, and you hate your brethren, but you're going to heaven? Well, it says in verse 11, many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And many are being deceived by these doctrines of devils that are being promoted in the world today. And because iniquity shall abound, which is happening all over the world right now, the lawlessness, right? The love of many shall wax cold. I think every Christian is being tested in this area right now. There's a spirit trying to wax the heart cold. Well, let me ask you a question. You're offended, you betray, you hate the brethren, and your love waxes cold. Are you saved? Answer carefully. Jesus is not talking about the world. He's talking about, and he's talking to the disciples. And he's telling the disciples what's going to happen to the majority, the majority, because it always talks in the realm of many, many, many will be deceived. The love of many shall wax cold. He goes into, and then shall many be offended. 
He's talking about the majority of so-called followers that are not prepared in the last days. At the end of time, maybe in 70 AD, a lot of people fell away. But this, you have to put it in its proper context. And Jesus is going to tell us about his coming, the end of the world. And he's telling us this in the last days is what's going to happen globally all over the world. Not just in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. No way. Not just in, uh, you know, communist China or the Bolshevik Revolution, or some other time of persecution in the 300s. No, he's saying in the last days before I come, these are the events that are going to happen globally all over the world. But he that shall endure unto the end, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Endure what? Endure the hatred, endure the betrayal. Don't take the bait of Satan and get offended. Don't let your love wax cold. Don't let the environment of the world controlled by the satanic infiltrate your heart and take your soul captive. Don't let it happen. He who endures to the end. Now, Jesus is telling his disciples, not rapture. He's calling, calling them to endurance to the end of this time of tribulation that he's talking about. And then he said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Well, through modern technology today and through computers and all the different technological devices, the gospel is being preached all over the world. And they had that 1040 window, and there's some little villages that didn't hear, but the missionaries have gone, technology is gone, devices, interconnectedness. The world empire wants to interconnect for their purpose. God's using it for his glory to get the gospel out. Right? But it's all got to happen. It's happening in these last days because we've seen the technological explosion. Question, did God say anywhere? Did Jesus, the master teacher, anywhere, talking about the last days, say, did he say anywhere, you're going to be pre-tribulationally raptured? Did he say, before these bad things happen, you're out of here? He did not. Okay? He went on to say, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then let them which are be in Judea flee unto the mountains. So in Judea, they fled to the mountains. In 70 AD, the Romans came in, they put a pig on the altar, etc., etc. However, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, because then he had Epiphanes the fourth, going back into the Old Testament in the days of Daniel, there have been Moments, and that's why I'm reading this to you, because Isaiah 13 talks about a mini apocalypse, something that has happened, will happen, and will happen again in the future. All of these things are leading up to the finality, the conclusion, the climax. They've all existed in times past, and they will be again in a global setting. So in 70 AD, people saw things coming, the Romans coming, and they went through a tribulation period, no doubt, and there were those that heard the words of the master that fled to the mountains of Judea, but... In the last days, in 2 Thessalonians, in Revelation chapter 11, what you have is the Antichrist, Lucifer, coming into the temple declaring himself to be God. We can get into that in just a moment, but we do understand. We're waiting for a temple, an actual, literal, physical temple to be built in Jerusalem, and we believe that the Antichrist, Lucifer, whatever body he has, is going into that temple, and he's going to declare his God. 
to be God or himself to be God. Because this is his dream since Isaiah 14 from the beginning of time that he would sit in the sides of the north. This is all Luciferian. It's in 2 Thessalonians, okay? The son of perdition in the final days. Jesus said this, let him which is in on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. So there's a woe to mothers that are feeding their babies, those that are pregnant. It's not, hey, you're pregnant, you're feeding your baby, don't worry, everything's okay, you're going to fly away in a preacher rapture. He doesn't say that. He says, woe to those who are nursing. Woe to those who are pregnant in the time that you have to flee. Woe to the time of persecution if you're a believer. You're only going to have one choice. You're going to give in. You're going to take the offense. You're going to hate. You're going to betray. You're going to let your love wax cold, and you're going to fit in. You're going to take the mark of the beast so you can buy and sell and take care of your family and take care of yourself. You're going to, you're going to do it, and you're going to give up on God to save your momentary life, and you're going to be eternally damned. And you're going to enter into anybody that takes the mark of the beast, Revelation 14, anybody that takes the mark of the beast will be eternally damned in the misery that God's word just talks about. Now, the once saved, always saved crowd that is teaching lies right now, telling people there's a pre-tribulational rapture when the rapture doesn't happen and they begin to give the mark of the beast, the people are going to say, give me the mark because I can't lose my salvation because I'm once saved, always saved. So they're going to be doubly damned. Number one, they missed it in the demonic doctrine of preacher rapture. That didn't work out. We're still here. Now we got to eat, but we're not ready. So we better take the mark because we can't lose our salvation. And they're doubly damned. I mean, it's so clear in scripture. Nobody's making up, not feeding into anything. It's what Jesus is saying. And in verse 20, he says this, but pray ye that your flight, not your pre-tribulation flight, but your flight into the wilderness, your flight into the mountains of Judea, but pray ye that your flight be not in the winter. I wouldn't want to go to the mountains of Jerusalem in the winter. Neither on the Sabbath day, because the Sabbath day you're reclining and resting, and all of a sudden the alarms go off and you got to go. That, you're not really ready. So pray. I don't know anybody that's really praying that their flight won't be in the winter or on the Sabbath day. But Jesus said to do it. For then... Listen to what Jesus said. Here's his teaching, folks. For then shall be great tribulation. The word tribulation is the philipsis. It means pressure, anguish, distress, right? So then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world. Wow, how many tribulations have there been since the beginning of the world? And Jesus said, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, he's talking about his present period of time, no, nor ever shall be. Now to anybody that insists that he was talking about 70 AD, well, you have to fast forward to Nazi Germany and you have to see a tribulation that hit the earth, and particularly in Europe, and particularly against the Jewish people, there was a great tribulation that was greater than 70 AD. Six million Jewish people were incinerated and tortured and made sport of and were experimented on. And 
you cannot imagine. And yet, and yet, that's not the worst of it. This statement, a great tribulation that has never been before and will never be again, is what is being set up right now globally in our generation. We are no doubt the final generation to walk this earth in its, ple- in its present form. Our generation will see the Antichrist. Our generation will go through the greatest tribulation to have ever hit the face of the earth. More persecution, more suffering, more anguish, more affliction. However, there is a place of safety for the overcomers where they are going to endure. There are Goshens, there are arcs, there is a wilderness that God is going to put people in to take care of them for three and a half years. We know, according to scripture, that the great tribulation of Revelation 13 will be three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days. It's all the same time. And so we, God is warning people to prepare. He told Noah, build your ark, get ready. You're going through a tribulation. Man, 70 AD was nothing compared to that tribulation. There's something coming on this earth in the sun, moon, and stars. There's something coming, comets, asteroids, meteorites, something of earthquakes you've never dreamed, pandemics you've never seen, famine, drought. I'm telling you, God said, it's coming. It's coming. It's in his word. And I believe him. And you've always seen previews in different times, but there's a finality In man's human history, why are we the final generation? Because Jesus said, when you see the fig tree put forth their branches, know that it's at the door. He's talking about Israel being the fig tree. It was gone for 1,900 years. And in 1948, Israel became a nation. It has been around now for 73 years. And a generation, it says in Psalm 90, is 70 years, 80 if by strength. We are now in the final seven years of the generation of Israel becoming a nation. The final seven years. What? Israel is 73 years old. 80 years, if by strength. The fig tree has come alive. The final generation in whom all things will be fulfilled is walking the earth right now. Wouldn't we say that? So he says, except those days should be shortened, and I believe that means that he shortened the time frame to 1,260 days, three and a half years, 42 months. God gave a specific time in the Bible of how long the Antichrist, the beast, the dragon, the false prophet will be in power in Revelation 13. He said it was three and a half years. And unless God had short, except those days should be shortened, There should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. The elect are the Christians. How could people say when Jesus mentioned the greatest tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth, and most Christians say the greatest tribulation is going to hit the earth is ahead of us, most who believe in the pre-trib rapture, believe they're out of here because the greatest tribulation is coming. They don't deny the great tribulation. But Jesus said that the elect of God, the Christian community, the ecclesia, the elect of all humanity will be on the earth, but God's going to shorten it to uh, 42 months, three and a half years for their sake because they have to endure it to go through it. Come on. They're here. They're not gone. 
They're here. And they're going to endure the greatest tribulation. And God shortened the time frame because if the enemy had any more time, he's got to deal with 8 billion people. And the, the people that are going to worship the devil, they're going to be destroyed too by the devil because the devil doesn't have a love affair with humanity. He hates human beings. Takes them over, uses them, spits them out. That's all. He has no affair with humanity. The devil is coming to destroy everything God created, right? So, now Jesus says in verse 23, Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. Don't believe it in this time. He's telling this telling all of us, don't believe it if they're saying he's there, he's there. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So the very elect of God are going to be on the earth. Why do these pre-tribulational rapture teachers keep insisting that there's a secret pre-trib rapture, we're out of here before the great tribulation because we're so special to God. And yet twice now the Bible says the elect and the very elect are going to be here. If possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So the elect and the very elect. Then they make up these stories about, well, that's after seven. Stop it. Stop it. Verse 25, behold, now listen to what Jesus said. Behold, I have told you before. So he's now, he, it's like Jesus was on the mount, they asked the questions, and he's describing all of it. He's seen into the future. He's seen into the last days. And he says, behold, I have told you before. He's now looking at them saying, I just told you. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, behold, he's in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he's in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now he's answering another one of their questions. What shall be the sign of the, When shall these things be? What shall be the sign of your coming? It'll be like lightning flashing from the east to the west. He's talking about the coming of the Lord. This is the coming of the Lord. This is the coming that 1 Thessalonians talks about, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about. This is Revelation 1-7. This is the coming, and he's talking about it. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And then he says briefly, Where, wheresoever the carcasses, there will be eagles be gathered together. In other words, he uses the idiom, when you see these signs, know that it's near. When you see the vultures circling, you know that there's prey down below. So when you see these signs, know that this is coming. I'm coming, right? But as he who endures to the end, listen to how he finalizes. Watch and listen. Don't miss this, please. Verse 29, Jesus said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, what days? What he just talked about. Has he one time mentioned a preacher of rapture? Now, wouldn't you think that the professor, the master teacher, would be telling somewhere in this story that there'd be a secret preacher of rapture? He didn't. But he does say immediately after 
immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. We've seen effect in the sun, moon, and stars already, but there's more to come. There's so much more to come. So the the powers of heaven shall be shaken. We'll see that in Revelation, by the way. And then, this is all immediately after the tribulation, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. So the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Revelation 1-7, every eye shall see him. They who pierce him, it's all there. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Very important to understand 1 Thessalonians 4 in its true meaning. You'll see him coming in the clouds of heaven after the tribulation. They're going to see the Lord coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He shall send his angels. 1 Thessalonians 4 says the same thing. He's going to send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect, all the Christians, from the four winds, from the one end of heaven to the other. So all over this world, all the saints of God are going to be gathered together immediately after the tribulation, those who endure to the end. He's going to come in a cloud. He's going to send his angels to harvest. He's going to harvest his overcomers, those who endured, and He's going to do it from the one end of heaven to the other. Now, just quickly, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For those of you who have been taught that 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is the preacher of rapture, let's just look at what it says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Let's go step by step. Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he says in verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. Now just read it, okay? Let's just read it. Paul doesn't want Christians to be ignorant about something. About what? I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. In other words, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have died believing in Jesus Christ. It's all he's talking about. In context, in this passage, he's talking about dead saints, dead believers. They died. The Christians were concerned about their loved ones who died. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about them which are asleep, that you sorrow not. I don't want you to be sorrowing over your lost loved ones, even as others which have no hope. Uh Oh, there's a hope for our lost loved ones. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so them also which sleep in Jesus or died believing in Jesus, will God bring with him? Oh, where are they going? So he's saying, listen, you have hope. You have hope for your loved ones who have died believing in Christ. When someone you love who's a believer dies, really, you should not sorrow. They're going to be back again. God's going to bring them with him. What does that mean? Verse 15, you've got to highlight verse 15. Nobody ever talks about it. But here's what Paul said. For this we say unto you 
by the word of the Lord. In other words, this is not my opinion. This is not an epiphany I got. This is not a revelation of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. What's he referring to? Matthew 24, what we just read. Listen, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. What did we just read about the coming of the Lord immediately after the tribulation? The Lord will come in the clouds, right? That's what we just read. He's going to send his angels a trumpet, right? That's what he said. Jesus said it. So Paul's picking up on the message of Jesus, and he's saying this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain. In other words, we endured to the end of that tribulation, okay? We endured to the end of that tribulation. We're alive and remaining. Many were taken out. Because they hated, they betrayed, they, uh, be, you know, all, they, they did all that stuff. They got offended. Their love waxed cold. They didn't make it. He said, but we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. So he's talking about people alive and remaining to the coming of the Lord, which is after the tribulation, shall not prevent them which are asleep. So Paul's giving the revelation now. We're not going to go before them. And then he tells the story. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. He's picking that up from what Jesus said. The Lord's going to descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel. And with the trump of God. We just read that. Jesus said emphatically, immediately after the tribulation. Then this event takes place. So now we have the Lord coming, descending from heaven. He has a shout. There's the voice of the archangel with the trump of God. Dead in Christ shall rise first. That was the point of the trumpet. Okay? Then, after the resurrection, which, by the way, 1 Thessalonians 4 has nothing to do with a pre-tribulation or rapture, It has everything to do with the resurrection. Then, after the resurrection of the dead loved ones who are now resurrected to be with the Lord, then we which are alive and remain after the tribulation, at the coming of the Lord, watch, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, To meet the Lord in the air. Notice that Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, at his coming, he never makes landfall. He's always in the clouds. And the dead rise and the living saints who are alive and remaining are caught up. And we all meet the Lord in the clouds, in the air. He doesn't come to set up his kingdom yet. This coming of the Lord has nothing to do with the Lord coming This is so the dead believers throughout the history of the church age, they're going to be resurrected. We who are alive and remaining in the final generation, we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, in the clouds. So we're all going to meet the Lord in the clouds, and he's going to take us. And then what we know is after that event, now God will pour out his wrath in Revelation 16. The seven vials of the wrath of God. The great tribulation was not the wrath of God. It is the wrath of the dragon. 
if you read Revelation 12, 17, and all of it is the wrath of the dragon. The great tribulation is not the wrath of God. It is the wrath of the dragon. The wrath of God is poured out in Revelation 16. That's why when the dead rise, the believers, and then the believers who are alive and remaining are caught up to meet the Lord, we meet him in the clouds. He doesn't come back. The Lord doesn't come back until after the seven vials of his wrath are poured out, Babylon is destroyed in Revelation 17 and 18. And in Revelation 19, now we see the Lord returning with his armies. And he deals with the beast and the false prophet and casts them into the lake of fire. He comes to judge and make war with the nations of the earth. And that's when he comes to set up his millennial kingdom. But in 1 Thessalonians 4, it doesn't talk about a pre-tribulational rapture. It's not there. It's talking about the coming of the Lord. The same description that Jesus taught that Paul said we say by the word of the Lord. It's clear. He said, wherefore comfort one another with these words. That's all 1 Thessalonians 4 says. Where is there room for a pre-tribulational rapture, a secret pre-trib rapture? You know, there's not one rapture book, not one rapture movie, pre-trib rapture, that talks about the resurrection of the dead happening. You never see the graves opening. You never see the dead rise, because this is a secret pre-trib rapture that 1 Thessalonians 4 says. And I'm sorry, but it's not there. It's not there. It's just not there. It's not in 1 Corinthians 15. It's not there. It's not anywhere to be found. It's a doctrine of demons to disarm believers, to prevent them from being prepared for the persecution that's coming. Because believers, particularly in America, in the gospel we send forth to the ends of the ages by these false prophets and false teachings and doctrines of demons, is spread all over the world to get people disarmed. And that's why when the Chinese Christians were slaughtered, they went to the missionaries and said, why did you tell us we'd be out of here before any harm came? It wasn't true. And it's not true today. And Christians in America are about to undergo the severest of trials, and there will be no secret preacher of rapture. That will not happen. The catching up, the gathering together, the dead rising, which is an event to be, my God, is that a huge event. When that event happens, we know when now, immediately after the tribulation, when Christ returns in the air, then the dead will rise. Then we will be caught up. Then we will be with the Lord. Then we'll go off into the wedding feast. Then we'll be caught up to me. He's going to come for his bride at that point. And all the dead saints will be gathered together. Wow. Why? Is it so abundantly clear when you just read it without putting in your own personal input into it? Why try to squeeze verses and make them fit, putting a circle into a square? Why do that? Why? Because it's an end-time reality. The doctrine of the pre-trib rapture didn't exist until Margaret MacDonald and the the, the people took, Margaret MacDonald said the church would face the Antichrist, but there were Nelson Darby and all these people, whoever they were, they, they went in and they cut out Margaret MacDonald's statement that the church would see the Antichrist face to face. They cut that out and they said that she had a vision of a preacher of rapture, 1800s, 
it wasn't in the church as valid doctrine for 1,800 years. We're swallowing it up. And let me ask you a question, because I could prove this as well scripturally. If, if somebody would admit and just admit what you just heard is the truth of God, and you were willing to spit out the poison of false doctrine, is it possible that you've been deceived about your salvation as well? And you would come to a reality that many would say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, open unto me. I've done all these things. Your name is, he says, depart from me. I don't know you. Is it possible that the once saved, always saved doctrine is also from a demonic spirit? So I go back to first or Isaiah chapter 13. We had a little poof and I was reading in verse eight. They shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman in travail. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. That is the description that Jesus was giving known as the beginning of sorrows was the point. Verse 9 of Isaiah 13 goes on to say, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. Wow, that's the day of the Lord. There are many days of the Lord, and they all have forms. The day of the Lord, there's a final climatic day of the Lord as well. And man, we are in it because it involves the beginning of sorrows. It, be, it involves the, um, the first seals opening in the book of Revelation. And we should be understanding right now what's going on in the world in which we live. The stage is set. Everything is happening. And it's one event after another unfolding revelation. We should know. We should be studying and being aware. We should be really looking up for our redemption does draw nigh. And as we go through this tribulation period, we know immediately after it, the Lord is coming. Wow, the second coming of the Lord. Can't wait. I'm not putting my faith in a, a pre-tribulational secret rapture that doesn't exist except in men's minds. I won't put my faith in that. Now, somebody once said, if it happens and we missed it somewhere, I'll see you in the sky, pass you by, say hi, and I'll get to the throne before you because I want to be there. That's not going to happen. Now, verse 10. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I'm going to leave it there. I want to do something. I want to go to my um, chat room here. And remember, if you have a question or a comment about what we are talking about, do me a favor, call this number. Okay, if you want to do it, call the number on the screen, 818-369-0326, press 1. I don't know why I wasn't planning on getting into the preacher rapture thing today, but it just happened. We talked a little bit about it last night. and. I'm going to go into fuller detail on Saturday evening, most likely, if God permits. But if you have a question and you're going, well, wait a second. You didn't say that right. You, you, what, well, what about the, if you have a question, a sincere question, give me a call right now. We'll talk about it. I'll bring all the people and we can all talk about it. I love that. Now, the number 818-369-0326, press 1 on your dial pad. Uh, let's say hello. I want to get into... Um, some other comments here. I see some friends that are joining in. Sarah Hartman says, hi, Pastor Vincent. I've seen that LGBT flag 
as well that's on the Bentonville Square. I continue to pray against it and everything I see taking over on the Bentonville Square. God bless you, Sarah. She says, as is these verses to lean on, John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. Amen. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Autumn says, sign me up for that one. Amen. That's what I'm sticking to, Sarah said. Autumn said, push homosexuality as a tool for population control and conditioning for transhumanism. Perfect. That's exactly right. You certainly can't have offspring through that mechanism of homosexuality. Shirley says, it is sick. Wake up, people. Lola German. Sorry, I'm late. Hello, Lola. Wendy Bredesen. Lord, remove the veil from the eyes of the blind. Amen. Lola, speak, brother. Vanessa. KM. Adrian Rogers did speak about the USA. The Liberty Statue became an idol to uh, Istar. USA is the mysterious Babylonian. Uh, Matthew 7, 13, 14 key words for the gate is narrow, leads to life. Amen to that. And uh, let's see. Uh, uh, it leads to lives of Lucifer, homosexual, freedom of evil. Psalm 78, July 4, 76. Your president mentioned this word, America, in God we trust, obeys the Ten Commandments given God. Okay. Vanessa, very well studied. God bless you. Uh, Jody Keene, Christians can have demons. You bet they can. That's a third doctrine of demons, that they can't. We've been battling that for a long, long time. Hey, Carol Carey, my experience when sharing the truth, pre-tribbers can't see the truth. Blinded to it. So sad to hear. So sad to hear. Boy, oh boy, we've been going on for a while, huh? Jody Keene, my minister friend of 20 years, once black solid years ago, went back to a life of crime, committed suicide, went to hell and said, when we came back to life, that Christians are in hell. Yeah, it's the greatest deception on the face of the earth. Once saved, always saved. Pre-trib uh, uh, rapture. Christians can't have demons. It's pretty heavy-duty stuff. And why? Why do I even care? You know, why do? Why am I on? Why am I teaching this? Why am I doing this? Because someone's got to open their eyes. The truth has got to be sent forth with the purpose of opening the blind eyes. Jesus is here to open the eyes of the blind, the ears of the deaf, and the hearts of the ignorant. These words are designed, anointed by God for somebody to hear them. And for the Holy Spirit to take these words and open your eyes. And if he doesn't, you are in danger. Homosexuals, lesbians, you are in danger. Sinners, you are in danger if you have not confessed your sin and repented with a heart that says, I know it's wrong and evil. I have sinned against God. I repent. I will never do this again. Come out of the lifestyle that is going to destroy you. Christian believers, maybe you're living a more moral life, a more holy life, but you're setting yourselves up through false doctrine to get caught off guard and then to feel pressure you never dreamed would come. I know right now in fancy America, it's nice and cozy. But those days are numbered. The writing is on the wall. Come on. Confess your sin. 
wake up. Why do people not want to believe we have to go through the Great Tribulation? When 2,000 years of church history, our genuine founding fathers, the apostles, they were killed. Everything Jesus said to them happened to them. They were afflicted. They were hated. They were persecuted. They were sought out like animals. Read in Hebrews chapter 11. They were hunted. They were in caves and rocks of the earth, destitute, afflicted. Christians everywhere in those early days. And for 2,000 years, the Ukrainian persecution, the Bolshevik persecution, go on down to the Colosseums of Rome. It's never ceased. Go to Nigeria today. You've been to Syria. You know the persecution, the death, the murder, the killing, the violence, and what God is saying. It's all growing into a climatic moment all over the world right now. And yet only in America. Are people suggesting Christians can't have demons to mislead them and misguide them, to vex and torment their souls? No, 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 no. It's all psychological. Then they say that there's a preacher of rapture. You don't have to prepare. You don't have to be wise. Jesus said it would be like the days of Noah. If you were living in the days of Noah, you should prepare an ark. Um, then they say, well, you know, we're going to be out of here and nothing bad is going to happen. Never before. And, and you and I, who are striving to enter in through the narrow gate into eternal life, and we know that narrow gate is Christ, Jesus, doing it his way, not our way. We don't bring Jesus into our life. He takes our life into his calling, right? And this is why we're not our own. We've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to, I'm living in this world, but I'm not of this world. I use this world. I don't abuse it. I don't depend on it. I can use whatever I need to, whenever I need to, and, but I don't depend on this world. If I need to use the medical field, I will. If I need to use an aspirin, I will, but I don't depend on it. I'm learning more for the time that we're out there and I can't use the medical field. I can't buy and sell. I can't go to the bank. I have to learn to live in a way and adapt to an environment and be in a place where I can survive for a period of time to go through things. So we prepare. We simply prepare. We don't talk about preparing we have been preparing for many, many years. To what? To be out of the way. The Bible says in Revelation 12, there are people going into the wilderness. I prepare on going into the wilderness. I prepare to have my own food, my own water, my own medical supplies. And if God doesn't protect that, then that's on God. But I'm doing what God told me to do. He told Noah, you build the ark. Yeah, but Lord, this flood is coming. I'll take care of the flood. I'll take care of the boat. You just prepare. And what you and I should be doing and should have been doing all along, getting out of your comfort zone, Sodom and Gomorrah, because it's beautiful and nice and I like the weather, and you should have been leaving long time ago. And you should have been going to a place that God has called you to, and you should have been getting food and water and clothing and medical supplies you should have been with a community of believers who are like-minded that you could walk with because when the insults come, like they insulted Noah, you could at least refer to your friends and go, man, we're all nuts according to them. Well, we're good nuts, right? Whatever. <clears throat> you need to have a community of believers to work with. You belong to a church. Your pastor should be informed about the very things we're talking about. Your pastor should be calling people not just to go to church, but to prepare a place of habitation. And then the people that are going to the place of habitation should be very much involved 
in securing and taking care and maintaining the things that you're doing. They should be involved, okay? Because there, there are a lot of people that are going to be users, and they're simply going to want what you have because they don't have it. You need to be involved. That's what I believe. And if you're not being involved, and your pastor doesn't care, and you're going in the sweet by and by, sweet tribulation, thing in the sky, all that stuff, if that's where you're at, you don't want to be there. Prepare. Prepare, 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 and then leave the rest to God. Prepare and leave the rest to God. And then live in the Holy Spirit, be led by the Holy Spirit, be guided, be directed by the Holy Spirit, be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people right now. Don't ignore. Don't think that the new marvelous world of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and the left and the communists and all these things is a normal world. It's not. Don't become used to and tolerate, capitulate, be absorbed into the new society. Don't do it. Come out of her, my people. Come out. Do not touch the unclean thing. Do not be seduced. And don't give up because there's pressure coming to get you to abandon your faith. Things are coming down the pike. They're going to get you into a mental, emotional state to say, I quit. If you can't beat them, join them. I give up. That spirit is coming 10 billion times stronger than anything you've ever known. And you've got to have, it's got to be Christ. And if it's not Christ in us, and if it's not the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and if it's not the divine nature, and it's not the character of Christ and the mind of Christ, if it's not Christ, you're going to lose. We're all going to be taken out. Taken out. And it's not just temporary. It's eternal. We see, we talk about eternal things here. Do you think we should be on the air preaching these things? If you said yes, then you need to help support what we're doing. I listened to this broadcast yesterday. Patricia said I was rough. So I listened to it, and I, the sound is terrible. On, on your phone, on the phone, it was terrible. So we want to launch out, as I've said, we want a better studio. My friend Rick Wiles and Doc Burkhart and Edward Zoll last night were talking about they're preparing a studio that Hollywood doesn't have, a state-of-the-art studio. Do you think what we're preaching, teaching, and sharing should go forth? We need your help. Sure, they're spending millions of dollars on their studio. Somebody got behind Rick Doc, Edward, and invested gold and silver and money to the tune of millions. And that's why they've grown. They're all over the world. And they have a beautiful studio, and it's going to be better. They're in an old thing right now. They're, they're just talking about just weeks away now, this brand-new studio, state-of-the-art. Should we do that, or should we just hang out, do what we're doing, and is this good enough? Are we reaching enough people? Should this message be on a platform louder and further? And only you could answer that. Only God knows it's, it's something I think about. I'm good either way. Either way. I'd like to sound better, though. If you would like to support this ministry, 
you can. You can support it. And so there's some great comments on here. Great comments. American Christians are spiritually lazy, fallen angel trap for them. The mega churches are now under judgment for not taking care of the sheep. If Christians cannot have demons, said Carol Carey, why did Jesus cast out demons in the temple? Well, they say that was before the New Testament. I know it's crazy. Just, just look at your own experience of what God's had to bring you through and out of. We deal with people all the time that have been involved in things, and demonic spirit have done damage, and they've, they occupy the soul, not the spirit. The born-again spirit is pure virgin territory. It's the soul that they occupy, the mind, will, the emotions. They planted seeds and thoughts and ideas and concepts and beliefs that aren't true. It's all demonic, and people don't want to deal with it. Now, I, I get that, but we love dealing with it. My wife, Patricia, has been in that deliverance ministry for 40 years. She wrote a book called Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights to Teach Pastors, about what's going on with the pastor said Christians can't have demons. So wherever people are knowing they have demonic issues, then the book is given. People go through deliverance and they're getting set free. And we thank God for that. Um, so how do we do it? We, you can, a couple of things you could do on the screen right now, you go to nwmglobal.com. Listen, I'm good with, with whatever God really wants. You know, I think it would be really awesome to have two or three other people with me that, that carry an anointing and have an assignment on their lives to sit with me in a studio and have three or four people going through all the information, laying forth, getting into the Word of God, laying it forth, taking world events and looking at them through a biblical lens bringing to different perspectives. And I really appreciate and I value what Rick and Doc Burkhart and Edward Zoll are doing. And they, they're, they're putting it out there and they're sitting down and they're discussing and they're doing a great job. And I think it's something to follow. And it would be an awesome thing to have a studio and to have three or four people that are high alert. You see, you listen to me for two hours. Maybe I get a little rough, a little passionate. Maybe maybe get in the flesh once in a while. Well, if you're with others, you can balance things out. And there definitely needs to be balance. The only thing I want to know, is this useful and is, should it go forth? And if it should, then we should do it. I can't do it alone. Remember, this pastor, 28 years, we don't get a check for what we do. We have no salary. We have never received a salary for preaching the gospel. 28 years, full-time pastoral ministry, zero salary. We don't have a mega church. We depend upon God to move in the hearts of people to supply all of our needs. And he's done a wonderful work. If we die today, we are the richest people on the face of the earth in the sense of a quality of life. We have a home. We have cars. We have family, loved ones, a beautiful church. We have done things that we never would have dreamed. Is it over or are we just going to the next level? I have a feeling that the devil's a bit terrified about us going to the next level and being more effective and more useful to God, not for our own reputation, but for his to get the word out. You have any ideas that want to help? I'm wide open. 
I love you in the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask the Lord to bless you today. I will not be on the air tomorrow. I will be back on the air Friday. So if you're around Friday, we'd love to talk with you. I will not be on the air tomorrow. You have a super blessed day. And Pastor Vince got to run right now on Omega Radio, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We built that. OmegaRadio.org. There's a roundtable discussion. Patricia Joy Xavier is with it right now. All right. She's going to be speaking out of her book, Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights, with her roundtable, table, table discussion. That was a triple table. See you soon. God bless. We'll see you on Friday. Shalom. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.